Hello. How is everybody? Good. It's uh, great to be with you. Great to be with uh, Jeff and Becky, the family, and uh, so many of you. Uh, Alan, AJ, look forward to hanging out with them this weekend. But uh, it's uh, great to be here. And uh, I travel, not this year, obviously, but normally I travel about 120, 140 days a year all over the globe. But uh, many, many different churches, types of churches, networks of churches. I haven't been to Mormon churches yet, but I hear they give good offerings. So I'm open to <laughs> any invitations. But uh, this is one, I, I, one of my all-time favorite churches to be in. And it's because uh, the leadership, uh, a lot like uh, me, are addicted to good food. No, well, that's, that's true. But it's because of your passion for worship and the presence of God, which ties in very much with what I want to speak about today. Uh, it would be a huge, silly, redundant understatement to say that we're in a very interesting time. It would also be, to be redundant with the word redundant, <laughs> redundant to say that this last week has been an interesting time. But four years ago, four years and five days ago exactly, I was in Jerusalem. I was invited by some friends of mine to help lead and speak as the Lord would lead at a gathering, international gathering in uh, the sports arena outside Jerusalem. And we literally had 5,000 people from all over the globe for five nights of worship and, and prayer. And uh, it was while there, I shared at the very last session, a open vision the Lord gave me of the throne room. And I saw Jesus and the Father and from proceeding from the throne of God were like drops of rain coming down, drops of blessings. But as they hit the earth, the transition took place and they went from like clear water, the living waters, to blood red, symbolic of the compassion of Christ, the blood of the Lamb. But they landed in many different cities, many different nations, many different churches, and everywhere they hit, fire sprang up. Those drops of blood just uh, sprang up as uh, fire of the holiness of God and the glory of God and the burning presence of the Lord. And I've been teaching and training on many things for like 35, 40 years, worship, uh, healing, miracles, prophecy, the voice of the Lord, Father Heart. But um, worship is, uh, I believe it's something God wants all of us to be experts at and understand the heart of it. I think that there's five core traits of a true disciple. And there's a lot of things we could say and have been said about this season of coronavirus and the political upheaval we've been in, the social unrest, the racial unrest, the economic unrest, and on and on, the isolation many people have gone through, the, all of it. But suffice it to say that when God allows things like this, he always has a purpose. You know, there's no such thing as the word oops in heaven, you know. God has never got caught by surprise on anything. And I think it's important when, not only for the sake of the world, but within the church, that when things like this happen, we say, well, what, what, what is God up to? Because often, oftentimes he's moving in covert ways. 
Now, one of the things I think he's been doing over the last eight or nine months, he's been trying to help us discern the difference between believing in Christ and disciples of Christ. How many of you know that Jesus never said, go and make believers among the nations? He said, go and make disciples. And disciples are someone who disciplines their life to come into conformity with their master. And I think that there's five key traits of the lifestyle of a disciple of Christ. One is obedience to God. Many people think that love is this vague feeling, you know, goosebumps, warm fuzzies from having your favorite worship songs on Sunday morning. But God measures obedience or measures love by obedience. Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. I'm glad about four or five of you are excited. That's about four more than the last service at this point. Uh, A second key component is a lifestyle of prayer. And I'm not talking about everybody spending 22 hours a day locked in a cave, but to the degree that we commune with God through prayer and worship, it's one of the greatest indicators of our relationship with them. Paul said, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, unless you're going through COVID-19. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of, of God in Christ Jesus for you. A third aspect of the true discipleship is extending and giving away God's love. And, you know, in the, in the Bible, love is, is not a noun, it's a verb, it's the doing. When Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But he didn't stop there. He continued and he said the second is almost the same, to love your neighbors yourself. And that could be everything from being in your home group or here in church or on the job praying for a sick person to giving away bags of groceries to a needy family to random times of, you know, uh, seemingly random times of evangelism. But it's extending the goodness, the grace, and the knowledge of God to people. And a fourth a component of essential discipleship is practicing community. Though particularly in America, I've noticed compared to most nations of the world, we tend to think about being, you know, lone rangers, you know, but uh, I love the fact that Jesus never said, they will know you're my disciples by your great revelation or your signs and wonders. He said, they will know you're my disciples by your love for one another. And because love is this verb, that means we have to be in relationship. We can't just be sitting, thinking about our theology and practicing, you know, social Christianity, you know, on the the media. It just doesn't work that way. Sorry to break anybody's bubble. But a fifth component, which I want to talk today, is being a worshiper of God. Jesus said the Father is searching for those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And as I said, I love coming to Grace Center because you have such a heart for worship. But based on some things that starting in June of this year, the Lord began to show me, I may have time to refer to a vision later on. I believe God is wanting to take many, many churches, my home church, for example, and Grace Center and many churches into a whole new dimension of, as it says in Psalm 22, making a resting place for the glory of God and making a place where that fire, uh, the compassion of God can land. So today, uh, I want to talk about, as I said, worship. It's interesting, in the book of Judges, two of the different occasions when the Hebrew people went up into battle or warfare, they prayed and they said, Lord, which tribe should go up first? The tribe of Benjamin, Ephraim, Daniel, Dan, whatever. But both times, the Lord said, let Judah go up first. 
And essentially that means let praise and worship go first and foremost in everything. And I say that because the word Judah in the Hebrew, yada, essentially it means to throw your hands out in praise. And you know, there's times in worship where you may just be seated quietly, having an overwhelming experience with God. There may be times when you're standing on your chair screaming in tongues. But you know, it, it doesn't matter. It's never a formula, but we are body, soul, and spirit and responding to him. And when we lift our hands and praise to God, I think it's symbolic of three things. Number one, exalting him. Lord, you're worthy of all honor, praise, and glory. But two, all over the world, you know, especially when someone puts a gun in your face, it's a sign of surrender. And so we say, here I am, Lord, surrendering, not my will, not my ways, but your will, your ways. But third, when we lift our hands, it's a gesture of just recognizing the awesomeness of God, that he's so much bigger than we can ever begin to understand. We're going to spend some time this morning, or this afternoon, I guess we're at now, in Second Chronicles chapter 20. Many of you are very familiar with this, but uh, I'm going to spend some time here. So if you've got your Bible, open up to Second Chronicles 20. If the person next to you does not have a Bible, turn to them and say, good Lord, you've memorized the whole thing already. How did you do that so quickly? Second Chronicles 20 is an incredible story about King Jehoshaphat, king of uh, the kingdom of Judah and uh, Jerusalem, putting worship first in the face of great adversity. And many of us today are facing great adversity. Maybe you're facing because of the economic shutdowns and financial adversity, maybe health, maybe social, you know, social distancing has caused problems. Could be a million different things. But it says in 2 Chronicles 20 that three large kingdoms, they sent their armies in association. They came together to attack Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. And Jerusalem was way outmanned, way outgunned. It says in Psalm 27, verses 5 through 6, For in the day of trouble, God will keep you safe in his dwelling. He will hide you in the shelter of his sacred tent and set you secure upon a rock. And that rock is Jesus, the rock of our salvation. Then your head will be exalted above the enemies who surround you. How many of you, for maybe a variety of reasons, over the last eight or nine months, have felt like you've been surrounded by your problems? I know I have with stuff going on uh, with our ministry and all the international ramifications. But the Lord will exalt you above the enemies who surround you. At his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. So these three large overwhelming armies came to attack Jerusalem. And it says in 2 Chronicles 3, then Jehoshaphat, you need to know this about Jehoshaphat. He was one of the greatest kings in all the Old Testament. He was very much a man of God. He was not just a revivalist. He was a man who brought transformation to Judah. He was just an incredible man after God's heart. But it says when these three armies came and surrounded them, then Jehoshaphat was afraid. And I want to stop there because a lot of times we make a a very basic mistake when we're thinking about faith and fear. We think if we have great faith, we will never experience fear. And that's wrong. 
No matter how spiritual you are, you're going to experience temptation. Temptation is not the problem. The problem is how you respond or not to temptation. When temptation comes, do you cave into it and go with it? Or do you look to the Lord and his word and say, no, I fear God more than wanting to give into this thing. The same is true of fear. Jehoshaphat, this great man of God, experienced fear, but he didn't cave into it. He didn't stay focused on the fear. He turned to the Lord. It says he set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all of Judah. And so the people came together in fasting and prayer. And I want to say a couple of things to you about unity. Now, let me qualify what I'm about to say. I have nothing but respect for people who, because of concern for COVID-19, or maybe they have a pre-existing condition, or they're in contact daily with people, elderly people or people with pre-existing conditions, do not feel it's, it's safe to come to church. I don't have an issue with that at all. But what I'm saying is, over the last eight or nine months, I believe in the body of Christ, not for that reason, who's in church and who's not in church, but for other reasons, we've been, the Lord has called us to discern who's a believer as to whose heart is really after the Lord. And one of the things the body of Christ has lost to a degree in the last eight months is the power and authority that it comes through assembling together, praying together, and worshiping together. Isn't it interesting that when you read about the Lord causing confusion with the people of Babylon, that they were all gathered together building this incredible monument to the glory of man. When God judged it and brought confusion of the languages, he said, I have to do something because of their unity nothing will be impossible for them. There's an authority either for good purposes or bad purposes that come through unity. But when we, the people of God, come together and worship God, whether you're doing it online or here together, although let me say there is something special about being under the same roof together. You know, Jesus said, wherever two or more are gathered. And, you know, in my state, California, you know, to, to use an overtaxed term, our governor has been draconian in his measures and has been highly illogical. You can have 5,000 people out in the streets of L.A. standing shoulder to shoulder with no mask, yelling at the top of their lungs, but yet you can't have 200 people in a church worshiping God. Come on. In California, our pot shots are open. Our liquor stores are open. That is considered an essential. But at a time when we're seeing suicide increase nationwide, we're seeing drug addiction increase, alcohol increase, church is not essential in the eyes of some. And I'm sorry, they're missing the boat. In fact, you know, the ark's already gone, you know. Well, let me rephrase that. <laughs> I don't want to impart hopelessness. But in California, you know, in my church, you know, we did it respectfully and we did it practicing safe distance and taking temperatures, but we respectfully went against the governor's edict. And since mid-June, we've been meeting, worshiping God. And, uh, and we made a statement among ourselves, it is more important than we minister to God than we fear man, you know. But that's, I'm not trying to, I was going to say I'm not trying to preach. Obviously, I'm trying to preach, but you understand what I'm saying. 
But when persecution began against the early days church in Jerusalem, they'd had several years of no persecution. Church is growing like crazy, miracles, healings. They're ministering the poor, the widows and orphans. Great things are happening. But then because of a particular miracle, they were, uh, Peter and John were arrested, told not to preach the gospel. But it says when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests, the elders, had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together. They gathered together the early days church and prayed. And they said, Sovereign Lord, who made heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them, they worshiped the Lord. They proclaimed his glory. And the Holy Spirit came and powerfully anointed them, just like years before on the day of Pentecost. And they went out and they preached the gospel over again. Jesus said, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask will be done for for them by my Father in heaven. There is an authority that comes when the church is in unity. And there has been, and believe me, I'm not trying to simplify politics because this goes way beyond politics, but there has been demonic strategies trying to prevent the body of Christ from gathering together in unity and worshiping God. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 5, as they worshiped the Lord, they said, you rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Now, we're on the heels right now of one of the most confusing elections we've ever had, and it's not over yet. And I'm not making a political statement one way or another. I'm just saying, you know, things are not over till they're over. But in the midst of all that, we say, you know, what in the world is going on? Where is Jesus? Where is the throne of God in all of this? I want to read to you from Hebrews, and it says, the Father made Jesus a little lower than the angels for a while, but now you have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything, say everything, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, I'm putting everything in subjection to him. He left nothing, and that includes the governments of this world, outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. And let me say this, what a friend of mine of inner city church in Cleveland told me 15, 20 years ago. The answer to America is not donkeys or elephants. It's Christ and the cross. And no matter what side of the political spectrum you may be on, our mandate has not changed to seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness. But when we come together, seek the Lord... He inhabits the praise of his people. And you say, well, Mark, with all the international confusion, all the wars, rumors of wars, threats of wars, the economic shaking, you know, how can you say God is on his throne? But see, Jesus is in control, but yet, as it says in Hebrews, we do not yet see everything, but just because we don't see it doesn't mean it's not happening. The proof of that is for over 40 years now, there have been a number of international characters leading some nations that have had nuclear arms at their disposal. It is totally the throne of God, I believe, that has kept over the last 40 years nuclear war from breaking out. God allows the nations just enough rope you know, to get themselves in trouble. But God inhabits the praise of his people, and we worship him. We make a resting place for his glory, for his throne. They recognized, as they prayed and worshiped, their dependence upon God. In 2 Chronicles 20, verse 12, they prayed, Lord, we are powerless against this great army that is coming against us. And I love what they then prayed. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. 
What an incredible faith statement. It's a little bit like the guy who came to Jesus and said, you know, would you, would you bring deliverance to my son? And uh, he said, I took your disciples. They couldn't do anything. I thought, maybe you can do anything. And Jesus said, can I do anything? And Jesus said, you know, the unbelief of this generation. But uh, the man had a great proclamation. He said, I do believe, but help my unbelief. And I want to tell you, when you're feeling surrounded by problems, could be economic problems, could it be health crisis, could be relationship, could be the isolation, I don't know, it could be a million things. Just because you feel helpless does not mean you're hopeless. That as David said when he was in that pit, metaphorically, of miry clay he could not climb out of, he said, I waited patiently upon the Lord. He lifted me up, set my feet upon a rock, the rock of salvation. He put a new song in me that many will see and hear. And I want to tell you, if you're sitting here today and because of the problems you're in, you feel helpless, you're not hopeless. And as we seek the Lord, his promise, he will lift you up, but he won't stop there. He'll put a new song of the glory of God in your heart, and it'll be a contagious song. They said, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. They proclaimed the Lord God, Yahweh, as their champion. Our question today is, who is our champion? Now, you know, obviously I'm in Tennessee. I don't know who your heroes are, not yours, but people down the road. But uh, in Southern California, where I live, you see a lot of guys, who's your hero? Oh, LeBron James, you know, with the LA Lakers, man, he's just smoking, you know. You know, and it's, it's interesting that the media wants to throw all these pop figures and athletes and everything, you know, and you, they want you to hang on their every word. A couple of weeks ago, about a week and a half before the election, I was perusing the news and this headline came up, Jennifer Aniston reveals who she's voting for. I thought, now we get to know. Now I'm going to know what to do with my election, you know, my, my vote, you know. Uh, you know, Jennifer Aston, she may be a nice person, may be a wonderful person. I don't care how she's voting. I'm voting according to how the Bible and the God tells me to vote. A few years ago, well, a number of years ago, I flew into a church. We were doing a conference. And the first night, we had a number of really remarkable back healings. And the pastor said to me at lunch the next day, before tonight's meeting, do you mind showing up just half hour early? Uh, a woman in our church approached us. She's a young Christian, a couple years old in the Lord. She's been going to church, and she called the office today. She's got a really messed up back. She works as a nurse, and she didn't get healed last night. Could you mind just praying for her for the meetings? I said, sure. So we get there, and I felt like this was not just a, a generic thing, you know, that it was something rooted um, more than just an accident or whatever. And I said to her, well, tell me your story. And to make things quick, she had married her high school sweetheart, and they both went to med school, he to become a doctor and she to become a nurse. And of course, she graduated in four or five years, but he went on an eight-year degree. In the last four years, she was supporting them, you know, and just everything seemed to be hunky-dory. He opened his practice, and about three years after opening his practice, uh, he went and got into an affair with a young nurse there and divorced her and married this other gal. And she said, he stole the best years of my life. And I stand, wow. I said, I, I can't imagine the heartache you've been through. And, but I, and I said this very diplomatically. I said, I know you're hurt. I know you were a victim. But Jesus said, if we don't forgive those who have sinned against us, neither will our Heavenly Father forgive us of our sins. Have you forgiven him what he did to you? And 
These are the literal words she said to me. She said, well, recently God's been speaking to me through Oprah Winfrey and Dr. Phil. And Oprah Winfrey and Dr. Phil say you should not forgive somebody until you feel like forgiving them. Really? When Jesus hung on that cross in absolute agony, raising his whole body up through that peg through his feet, gasping for breath, saying, Father, forgive them. They don't, does anybody think he felt like doing it? <laughs> no. But see, we obey God because he's the great I am and we're the great we're not. The question is, who is your champion? Who are you going to model yourself after? The battle belongs to the Lord. We just sang that. Second Chronicles chapter 20, uh, verse 17. A prophet spoke in their midst and said, Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed at this great army. For the battle is not yours, but God's. The battle belongs to him. And I want to say to you, as you walk with the Lord... As you serve the Lord, as you call out to the Lord, as you make him your champion, the battle belongs to him. One of his names in Hebrew is El Shaddai, God Almighty, the God who will do for you what you cannot do for yourself. Mark, that was a good point. Do not be discouraged by that limited response on that. We'll keep going here in Franklin on a Sunday afternoon. So... Second Chronicles 20, now verse 20. The prophet said, believe in the Lord your God and you will be established. Believe his prophets and you will succeed. Let's go back 12 months ago. September, October, November, December. All across the prophetic, sometimes pathetic media, all the websites. Not on mine, I steered away from it, thank you. The prophets were saying, in 2020, we're going to have 2020 vision. (laughs) Never go after the low-hanging fruit. It it just makes you look bad. Boy, we sure called COVID, didn't we? (laughs) Missed that by a country mile. But I want to say to you, do not throw 2020 away. Because God has been instilling instilling some things in your heart. And even though we didn't see with 2020 vision what's happening, as we allow God to deal with our hearts, he deals with the eyes of our hearts. He wants to give us 2020 vision going into the future. You might not be called to be a prophet, but as a son or daughter of God, you are called to be prophetic. 1 Corinthians 2.9, God has more for those who love him than our eyes have seen, our ears have heard, more than our minds can understand. So, if God has more for you than your mind can understand, how are you going to ever enter into it? How are you going to recognize it when it comes? The young men and women will prophesy, the older ones dream dreams, young men will see vision. You might not ever be called to stand up for me and prophesy, but as the son or daughter of God, God wants to lead you by his spirit. Romans eight fourteen. all those who are led by the spirit, these are the sons of God. Pay attention to what the Lord says to you. Pay attention. Verse 21. And when he had taken counsel with the people, 
Jehoshaphat, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord, the worshipers, and praise him in holy attire, to go before the army into battle and say, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. Now, this kind of sounds kind of cool and deeply spiritual. Believe me, it did not sound cool to the worshiping Levites. They said, let me get this straight. We're going to march into battle ahead of the army. Now, you all have seen the movies that when two great armies would approach each other across the battle plain or a valley, whatever it may be, you've all seen Lord of the Rings. First would go the foot soldiers, but right behind the foot soldiers would be this huge number of archers. And the archers in those days were deadly, not only because of their accuracy, but they say in just one minute, a good archer could send off three arrows. And so as the foot soldiers began to march, right as they got, you know, a certain distance, then their commander would call, send forth a volley. And there would be hundreds, sometimes thousands, and you've seen the movies, it would rain down arrows. It would just be, it could prove to be very, very decimating, you know, bring total destruction. But the foot soldiers who went first, they all carried large shields. And when the arrows started coming down, they would hunker down and hide behind their own shields. And then their army, in response, would say, send forth a volley return. And then the foot soldiers would go for it. The archers would keep shooting until there was too dangerous for their own men to shoot. And then would come the guys on the chariots or the horses, whatever, to kind of clean things up and wreak havoc, whatever. What a stupid idea to send the worshipers in front of the foot soldiers. <laughs> the enemy's thinking, easy pickings. <laughs> But it says in verse uh, 22 through tw verses 22 through 23, Second Chronicles 20, when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the three armies, the men of Amnon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah. So they were rooted. For the men of Amnon and Moab rose up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction. And when they made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. Satan, before his downfall, the Bible tells us in the prophetic books, he was the leading worshiper of God. And his job as he wore this outfit adorned with just incredible gems was to reflect the glory of God. That's why later on, God had the Levites had 12 gems across their breastplate because as we worship God, as a picture of that today, we're to reflect the glory of God to one another. But at a certain point, Satan became more enamored with himself and he desired worship. So he rebelled and he was cast down from the mountain of the Lord. So guess what? Over anything the church can do that makes him livid, it's worship because we have usurped him as the worshipers of God. And when we worship God, it just, this great theological term comes into play. The enemy becomes discombobulated. It's written in the book of Mark. Or as it sometimes says, they've come undone. And the demonic realm goes into a self-destructive frenzy at times. 
I've seen over the years, I've been in uh, meetings over the years where we've had people healed in meetings of paralysis. One lady healed of two blind eyes. One person, I've seen several people healed of cancer. People needed operation in their arms and things that nobody laid hands on, no word of knowledge, just being in the presence of God in worship. Because where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. I want to read to you a testimony. As I said, in my home church, uh, we started going back into meetings in mid-June, but we did have a night of special meetings that I ministered at on Pentecost Sunday in May. And this is a testimony a lady sent into our church a couple months after that. She, her name is Ann Southern. She says, I was attending a worship and healing service at Foothills, the name of our church, a couple months ago. I'd been praying for healing for a while now, every chance I had. She had suffered from cancer for several years. During this particular service, while we were all worshiping and praying, I could feel the peace of the Lord come upon me. Both of my arms hurt, my fingertips moving down to my elbows became hot. I knew the Lord was touching me and I received healing. At the same moment that the peace of the Lord fell upon me, I heard the Lord say these words, you are healed. I had been praying for this for years, filling out prayer cards and going to the front after each service. God has been faithful to keep me and see me through everything in my life so I know he can heal. I told the Lord, if you have truly healed me, let the doctor confirm it with normal blood test results that show no cancer. Let me not have to take Revlimid anymore for it's horrible for my body, the cancerous medicine she was taking. So she went a week or two after that experience to her doctor for a checkup. They did the normal blood test to the doctor's amazement, no sign of cancer. She goes back three weeks later And she says, again, my results were negative. Without even asking, my doctor said, how about we stop the Revlimid for now and continue with regularly scheduled blood work? She was one, and we didn't even know she was there with the cancer. Just in the presence of the Lord, because the enemy becomes discombobulated. And I'm not saying everybody with cancer, it's a a demonic thing. But, uh, you know... It's worship, this is, as one of the songs go, this is how we fight our battles. By making a resting place for the throne of God, for the very glory of God. Our worship goes up first. And it says in Second Chronicles um, chapter, uh, chapter 20, verse 25, that the spoil the valuables that the enemy left there was so great, it took three days in gathering it up. Man, they must have had a fun time those three days. Second Chronicles 20, verses 28 through 30. They came to Jerusalem, the people of Judah. They came to Jerusalem with harps and lyres and trumpets to the house of the Lord. And the fear of God came upon all the kingdoms of the countries when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. So the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for God gave him rest all around. And, you know, it's, this is a message that uh, it started with the Lord giving me my home church a few weeks back, but back in June, the Lord showed me an amazing vision of in our sanctuary, in our church in San Diego, just the glory of God rising up like out of the Old Testament, a pillar of fire reaching hundreds of feet. 
And at first I thought it was just for our church, but I realized, no, this is part of that vision of drops of fire I saw four years ago. And one of the keys is worship. But it's not just the worship songs we sing. It's Jesus becoming our song. It says in verses 28 through 30, as I said, they came together and they just ministered to the Lord, making a loud, joyful noise unto him. Isn't it interesting when the disciples asked Jesus, teach us how to pray, he gave them a structure for prayer. And he began with worship. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be, holy be thy name. Before he said you asked for anything, recognize the Father, worship him. So what is our song? In Isaiah chapter 12, verses 2 through 6, I want to read this over you. And I want to ask that you would just close your eyes for a moment if you would, and even put a hand over your heart. Your heart is the resting place of the Spirit of God. It's the throne of your life. Life proceeds from the heart. So if you would, just close your eyes, put a hand over your heart. Let me read this over you. Behold, God, Yahweh, is your salvation. Yeshua, Jesus. I will trust and will not be afraid, for the Lord God is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation, and you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, and proclaim his name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitants of Zion, for great in your midst. For great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. God has given us this amazing gift of worship that as we draw near to him, he draws near to us and he inhabits the praises of his people. I'll close with this before we say a, a moment or two of prayer. Um, I arrived here in Nashville Thursday night and Thursday evening the Lord gave me a vision and it was uh, uh, kind of a funny vision at first but um, it was symbolic of this church and I saw this church represented as a flagpole that went very, very high, a flagpole that was visible not just you know, within 100 yards but visible within the region and in one sense beyond that. But there were very, very strong winds blowing, confusing winds, very challenging winds. And the Lord said, there's two types of winds blowing right now. There's winds of adversity that are blowing, but there's also winds of my spirit that are blowing. And you need discernment to discern the difference between the two. And I felt like this was kind of leading up the next couple of months to the first of the year. And I sensed it was in January, I saw... Pastor Jeff, of all people, your senior leader, I saw him approach this flagpole with a big, big flag, kind of like the size flag you would see hanging down from a large building in New York or Chicago or something. And he unwrapped this flag and began to raise it on the flagpole. 
And at that time, I felt like the Lord said that, and I could be wrong in the timing, but I felt like the Lord said, come January, there's, that God is going to begin to give to Jeff and the leaders some new strategies, not to replace what you're already doing, but some fresh things maybe that you haven't done before, some things maybe you've done but haven't done it this way before. And everybody in the church began to look at that flag as it began to unfurl and blow in the wind, and it was strange. The only thing that was on the flag was a J. And people thought, oh, Jeff, he's raising his own flag here. He just wants to do his own thing. Oh, Jeff is just trying to, I don't know, just be an effective leader. But as that flag rose to the top, it stood out just straight as, you know, like a sheet of plywood in the wind, and it became very, very visible. And then people realized, this is not a J for Jeff. This is a J for Jesus, you know. And Jesus began to be more pronounced. And I, I'm, I'm not... I'm not absolutely sure of the timing, but I sense over the next couple of months, God's going to be giving some fresh visions, fresh perspective, and some things, doing some fresh things that you all are going to release in January. Try not to be quite so excited. I know it's difficult. So, um, I, I don't want to waste a lot of time on this. I'll just mention uh, at the uh, book table out there, Two of the things I have there, and one is, we wrote this about five or six years ago, but it's very, very appropriate for this time frame we're in. It's called Breakthrough in Times of Breakdown, and it's based on Psalm 37, that the righteous will prosper even during a time of famine. It's talking about the ways of God walking with him during challenging times. But also, we have a two-CD set called The Power of Blessings, and uh, you know, my wife and I do this almost every day when I'm home. We speak blessings during, we not only pray for our family, but we speak blessings over our house to be COVID-free, over our children, over our friends. And, you know, life and death are found in the power of the tongue. And I would encourage you about your job, your family, your house. Be speaking blessings right now. Don't cave in to the fear factor and be, you know, just huddle in the dark, you know. Paying attention to Facebook, all the junk on there, you know. Uh, be speaking blessings. There's life and death in it. Okay, let's all stand. So, this is the service where you're free to move about, is that right? Okay, good. Um, let's do this first before I invite anybody to come to the front. If you're one of those people, I talked early on in the message that, you know, uh, Jehoshaphat and the people of Judah, they, they were literally surrounded by their enemies, and Jehoshaphat was afraid. If you're someone that, in a serious way, you have felt surrounded by your enemies over the last eight months or so, maybe because of financial problems, maybe you, you, your job has been laid off, or who knows, Maybe relationally you've been cut off from people. Maybe there's health problems. But for whatever reason, if you identify with that, you feel like you've been surrounded, you know, would you just raise a hand right now? There's nothing to be embarrassed about. And just keep that hand up to the Lord. And if you're not raising your hand and you see somebody near you raising their hand, just stretch a hand of blessing to them right now. Don't dare touch them with, <laughs> unless you're friends, but... Uh, Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you even more than we may feel surrounded by our enemies. We are surrounded 
by your love, your grace, and your power, Lord God. And I proclaim in the name of Jesus over every single person raising their hand right now to you, I proclaim 1 Corinthians 2.9. God has more for you because you love him more than your eyes have seen, more than your ears have heard, more than you can possibly understand. And I bless in the name of Jesus doors to open for you that no one can shut. And I bless some doors that have been problematic for you to shut in a way that no one can open them. I bless you. May God cause his face to shine upon you. May opportunity and favor begin to come your way. And may God's peace be multiplied to you. And I say of you, even though you feel helpless, you are certainly not hopeless. If God is for you, who can be against you? Um, the last thing I want to do, uh, uh, last two things, I want to say a prayer for some healing. But if you're a worship leader or a worship writer or somehow you're involved in worship, would you come to the front right now? I know that's about half the church in Na- Any church in Nashville is just overflowing with musicians and worship leaders. Do we still have the keyboard player here or... Is, is he still here? Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> I didn't realize I had that much authority. I said, where is he? And there you are. <laughs> Can you just give us a little uh, background? Um, th- those of you, just hold your hands out to the Lord, if you would. Father, in the name of Jesus, I want to thank you for the calling, the gifts and talents you've given these men and women to lead us in making a joyful sound unto you, to lead us into making, so to speak, a fragrant aroma unto you through our prayers and our worship, Lord God. I pray that right now in the name of Jesus, would you strengthen them, Lord God? And I bless the artistic talents and abilities you've given them, Lord God. And I pray for multiplication of that in the name of Jesus. And I bless talents and abilities that are within you that God has given you that maybe haven't even come up to the surface yet. Just as the stewards multiplied their talents, I bless you to multiply by the grace of God the God-given talents within you. And I bless you to be one of the Levites of old that carried in the ark of God's glory into the sanctuary. I bless your shoulders to be anointed like the Levites of old to be carriers of God's glory. There it is, just let the Spirit... Just Those of you who came forward, just stay up here. Just keep receiving. I can see the Lord resting upon a lot of you right now. And then uh, I'm getting a word particularly about hips and backs and knees. If you have a problem with your hips, your backs and knees, would you just raise a hand up, Lord, right now? And again, if you're not raising your hand, look around you, and if someone has a hand raised, stretch a hand to them. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask for release of your healing and even miracle power right now upon knees. I bless knees to receive strength in the name of Jesus. I bless hips to receive strength. I bless the sinew in your, uh, 
and tendons around your hips to become strengthened. I bless hip sockets to become strong. I speak strength to you and flexibility restored. And I speak to all the discs running up and down your spinal column right now. I take authority over any herniated or fractured disc and I speak healing to those discs right now. And I speak to spines that are out of alignment. And some of you are actually physically going to feel this right now. But I bless spinal columns that have been out of shape for a long time. I bless them to snap right now into alignment. I bless you, Holy Spirit, for doing supernatural chiropractic medicine right now. I bless the alignment of your spinal column to be straightened out now in the name of Jesus. Some of you, you're going to notice as you walk out of here feeling very, very different. Some of you, within the next two to three hours, two to three days, you're going to, all of a sudden, you're going to notice something's different. You're going to be walking differently. You're going to wake up tomorrow, and all of a sudden, that old pain. Some of you who suffer from insomnia because of back pain, uh, I bless you to have a good night's sleep tonight to realize God is at work here. Father, I thank you that you've placed your government, your kingdom upon the shoulders of Yeshua, Jesus, and that your promise is there is absolutely no end to the increase of your government or your peace. And that includes 2020 and 2021. No increase to your kingdom, no end to the increase of your goodness in Jesus' name.